there's inflection points where your words and how you phrase things are important. But you know, you've got to really look at it as a, in my opinion, the sales process is, is a co-created experience between you and the buyer. Same thing with coaching, right? To your point, it's I've always looked at good coaching is just selling people on their own potential, right? And their own forward action. And so, yeah, if you just learn to shut up and do discovery and figure out what the real challenge is, I still go back to one of my first experiences as a young sales manager, had a top salesperson and one of my top guys who had just been crushing it week after week after week and just, you know, crater, just nosedive for one week and then two. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? For whatever reason, we got off topic and it turns out that he'd broken up with his girlfriend. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was David J.P. Fisher, otherwise known as, but friends, as D. Fish. And David's the president of Rockstar Consulting, keynote speaker and author, and truth be told, one of my favorite people to talk with on the show. You know, I have a routine for preparing for podcast interviews. I, I do a lot of research on my guests and prepare anywhere from, I don't know, Depends on the guests, 30 to 50 questions ask them before they come on the show. And I do that for every guest except David. (laughs) This is David's fourth appearance on my podcast. And I've learned that what works best for our conversations is just to tee up a couple topics and see where we go. Sort of like a basketball coach who runs a tightly structured practice, but every couple weeks or so just rolls a ball out on the court and tells the players just to play and have a good time. Well, That's what this episode is, having a good time talking about sales. So before we get to David, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review, we'd really appreciate it. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. David, welcome to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Good to chat with you again. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. You are one of my favorite guests. And I don't say that just to... (laughs) Just to butter you up or blow smoke up. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that is very kind. I'm, I'm sure you say it to everybody, but I'll no, take it. No, I don't. We, we really enjoy talking. We do. We do. Yeah. We don't get a chance to do it enough. Not at all. And, you know, I, I, I always enjoy our conversations because we really agree on some things and there's always something where we don't. But that's good. That's how you learn and grow. Well, I always, tell, I always refer to you. I tell people, I don't use you by name, but I remember once uh, after one of our conversations, Pretty sure it's you. You'd post on LinkedIn like, I just survived another talk with Andy Paul. <laughs> that sounds like something I might have said. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's, that's not bad. That's good and bad. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> good. I know I'm going to be on challenge my challenge people. That's, this, is, this is not the, if you want the easy ride, go to the kitty show on some other podcast. That's right. That's right. Here we are. Serious conversation about a topic that's not entirely serious, which is sales. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, oh gosh, you've got some new books coming out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, uh, had, had, uh, two new books, uh, cause I'm insane. Two. So I was like, let's do two. Yeah. Why not? Right. You Why know, it's just, it's just a pandemic. I've got a lot of free time on my hands. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was something to do when I wasn't chasing around my two-year-old. Right. Uh, but yeah, what I did is uh, we updated uh, my, my first book, which was Networking in the 21st Century. And then mm-hmm. we uh, also brought out a third edition of Networking in the 21st Century on LinkedIn 
we're you know just very specifically looking at the the platform um, of LinkedIn to, for relationship building and and all that kind of good stuff. But it was really kind of predicated on you know what is networking and relationship building post pandemic look like? And and for me, post pandemic is not once it's done. It's you know post. March 2020, because we're never going back to, you know, how things were, uh, at least here in, in, you know, the United States in like January 2020. That's just not happening. Yeah, I I think that's generally safe assumption, though. You know, interestingly, there are uh, more and more articles being published, you know, interviews with major company CEOs, including some very major tech companies that said, yeah, one of the things we've noticed over the last year and a half is that while we we're able to get work done, we're able to you know sell, we're able to support customers. Something's missing, one hundred percent. And and they see the answer as yeah, you know, bringing everybody back together. I think that's right. With an asterisk, I I don't think we're going to bring people back together. As I said, kind of in the same way, I don't think we're going to see, um, you know, massive trade shows like we did. I don't think we're going to. Uh, I think the massive big conferences will come back in a, in a couple of years, maybe. Um, you know, working from home has been great for a lot of people. A lot of people I know want to be back in the office. Sellers, for sure, that ability to be face to face with somebody, and there's so much in communication that happens. That's face not just face. our face right. on a Zoom right. call, right? Right. But what I think ha- did happen is we saw this because of the pandemic, because there was nothing else to do, we had to adopt all of these digital tools. We had to mm-hmm. adopt Zoom or using LinkedIn or whatever, uh, asynchronous video, for example. Mm-hmm. And I I think a lot of people started to see, oh, okay, th- these these can be useful. They, they, there is a place for them. You know, I, I mean, I've been working with professionals and, and organizations on LinkedIn for a decade. And three mm-hmm. years ago, it was, hey, there's some real scalability. There's some some ways that you can leverage these digital tools to, to share your message, you know, more effectively, more efficiently. Right. And it was kind of falling on deaf ears where now I think people see that it it is possible to use these tools. So I don't know what the the new quote unquote new normal is, but I do think there's going to be some sort of hybrid approach. Let's you know be specific to selling, right? There's going to be times where it's going to make a lot of sense to get on a plane, go sit down with that pro- like you're. I need to see them. I need to be in the same room with them. And there's going to be a time where you're like, hey, I don't want to spend a day or two days to do that. I don't need to. My my organization doesn't want to cover that expense. Uh, a thirty minute Zoom call. Is, is a lot better than a phone call, right? It's the, we now have this kind of middle ground, I think. Yeah, I, I, seeing somebody for the sake of seeing someone, I think, is, is should be gone. I mean, whether it is gone or not, it should be gone. <laughs> and, and quite honestly, the companies that were doing it well well before the pandemic were doing it that way. I mean, yeah. travel, travel for a seller should never be just for FaceTime. If, if you... The only reason to travel is that something has to be accomplished that will help the customer move closer to making a decision. And if it's not one of those moments that really matter, yeah, use a Zoom call. Like, use a phone <laughs> right. call. Um, well, and were you seeing, because what I think happened kind of pre-pandemic is, yes, you shouldn't travel, you shouldn't. And, and even if it's just being out of the office and in front of a customer or a prospect, 
do, do you think that people were kind of ho- using that FaceTime, hopefully, like that, that instead of having very clear intentions and, you know, having walked the customer through a, a buying process, it's like, well, at least if I get in front of them, maybe something good will happen. And I can tell my sales well, manager that I've got a meeting. I, I, I'm just curious if you think that that was happening a lot. I kind of think, well, I think it there was. was. I think there was some, but I think in, in a large portion of like the tech space, it had gone too far the other direction, which was, hey, we can handle all this inside. I don't need to travel. We're fine, but in the absence of the pandemic, you know, I made the point to, to many sellers was, okay, depending on the size of the, the deal and, and depending on the potential size of the account, why wouldn't you? Right. Right. <laughs> and, and if you were not traveling just for the sake of saying, well, we don't travel, which a lot of companies sort of took that approach. It's like, okay, but there's somebody really good out there who is going to travel. If it was me and I was competing against you and it, and there was a critical moment coming up and you weren't prepared to travel and I was, I was going to win the deal. Yeah. So I think it went too far uh, that direction, obviously a lot of it shut down, but I, you know, it's funny. I, I tell people, I said, well, you know, quite a long time ago, <laughs> working for a variety of startups that were bootstrapped and have since gone on and grown and, you know, very successful enterprises now mm-hmm. is we traveled judiciously cause we had no money. Right. <laughs> and so that right. discipline was built into me that you just didn't hop on a plane and go, especially cause yeah. a good chunk of our business was overseas. Right. Um, so, so you, and you had to justify that, that flight <laughs> and, and also the, the, if it was overseas, the eight hour flight both ways to your oh, boss well, that, Hey, please let me go. But you also, you just couldn't go see one customer. If you're going to spend that money, you had to go spend, you know, see lots of prospects right. or customers. And, and so to me, that was, you know, and right here, people talk at the start of the pandemic about, yeah, I work out or, you know, doing all this virtually and this is, yeah. This is so new. It's like, no, not really. Uh, what the new element is more of it was video based, but really for a lot of companies, they've been using video pretty extensively prior to it. But the whole world of virtual selling is like, say, it started when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. <laughs> right. Um, you know, those companies I was working for, I was doing so much international business. You know, these were multi million dollar deals. I'd maybe see the customer twice max before closing a deal. Getting some the rest of it was handled on the phone. Yeah. Well, I think what's really important there is a word you used, judicious, right? Which also means that you had the ability to think through a decision-making process. You know, do I, do I call them? Do I, you know, now email? Do I get on a plane? Um, now, of course, we have Zoom and, and all the other tools. And I, I do think that you're right that a lot of, and, and this, my guess, is slightly industry-specific, like tech, definitely very far. Like, hey, why would we let somebody out of you know our office ever? Right? Uh, they <laughs> well, they, they love change, change that, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. But yeah, what I I do think the difference was is I mean, especially let's just use tech. There was, hey, we're going to do a lot of this is inbound. We're going to generate a bunch of leads. We're going to have our SDRs leading mm-hmm. directly to an and. It was so automated and scale. I mean, there's good things to scale. The bad things is it's hard to actually, I think, sell at a higher level, right? Or, or higher is not the right word. Mm. Like deeper into like those bigger accounts, right? Um, 
And I think what, what happened, and this is a kind of pre-pandemic, at least in my eyes, is that they weren't actually training or coaching sales professionals to actually be able to be judicious. And they were just saying, hey, we want kind of the robots to work through the, you know, our process versus giving them the the wherewithal and then the tools to make those those judicious selling decisions. How am I going to engage? I think that's absolutely true. I mean, this is a topic that's part of my new book coming up is that the science is, is very clear and, and based on studies in, <laughs> from as diverse as uh, the military and senior living arrangements is that when you give people control and agency over the choices they have to make, they make better choices. Yeah. And, I, I, exactly. And choices that are better for them and and – your point is is earlier is that yeah sellers need this feeling of agency which you used the term robots before is is sure you could be robotic you could just i'm just gonna follow this process that's laid out step by step or yeah i'm gonna inject myself into it mm-hmm. and my judgment into it and do it better right right a book that i um I, I know we've talked about before. I think you know offline is uh, humans are underrated. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Colvin. Yeah, get, great book. Uh, I think you've talked to him actually. I did. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. and, and that was really interesting for me because thinking, reading it through, and, and I highly recommend if you're a seller or especially if you're running a sales organization, you need to read that book because it, it, it I think really does talk about this overlap of technology and sales and where we're going in the future. But one of the yes. things I thought was really interesting was, you know, the fact that humans are important when a uh, the, a decision-making process or the decision that is trying to be made is in flux, right? And I'm not saying it exactly, he said it much more eloquently, but basically if you're trying to hit a moving target, that's when, a, you know, automation and a robot isn't going to be better than a human. A human is better when you have to, as I said, walk into that uh, buying committee meeting with seven different stakeholders that all want different things. And what they want is also going to change and evolve over the course of the buying Mm -hmm. cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you give buyers agency, or I'm sorry, sellers agency, not only are they more effective, but they can actually roll with it, right? They can improv. They can realize that they have to make adjustments. Um, I, I, I think Though, I mean, and this going, we've plugged your book. We got to plug mine. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, but the, I think there's two parts of it. There's giving them the agency, and then there's actually giving them the tools and skills, right? Right. To, to exercise that agency. And uh, I think too often the sales organizations over the last five, 10 years were just hoping that they could recruit people who already had those, right? And then just mm-hmm. put them in their system. Versus mm-hmm. especially, you know, what we've seen with the, you know, hundreds of thousands of open sales jobs, you know, you can't just luck into or hope you're going to luck into the right sales team. You've got to give them the agency and then give them the support, in my opinion, to actually be successful. Well, yeah, that sort of goes without saying, but it, 
Seems like it still always needs to be said. Um, <laughs> everything that goes without saying always needs to keep being said. What is it? You know, common sense is anything but common, right? Anything but common. Yeah, it's sort of along the same lines. Um, yeah, I mean, it raises an interesting issue because I was I was reading about something this morning actually, um, which had nothing to do with with sales, but yeah, you know, for me it. <laughs> it all, it all has to do with sales somehow. It all has Andy. to do with sales, right? And and you know, people who listen to the show know that yeah, I'm a hopeless soccer fan, and 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 I was reading this article about this one particular soccer player in the Premier League this morning, whose whose fortunes is, have ebbed and flowed based on the coach they played. Mm. And there's he's played on four different coaches, and he's been a starter to somebody that never played to a part-time starter now to a reliable starter, right? I mean, it's like at one point, yeah, it looked like he was just gone. They were just going to cut him loose. And and the quote from this article is, you know, there's, there is, there is no such thing as a good or a bad player, only one in the right or wrong system. Love it. And I think it's, you know, you substitute the word seller for, for player. And I think this is, this is really the case, right? I mean, most people, you put them in, they can find the right place to be. Right. They'll do okay. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that's right. Yeah, we sort of, unfortunately, so often sort of in the sales profession and the sales training business and even this advice business is that oftentimes people come at it from the perspective that, you know, the people they're talking to are just bad right. and you need to get better, right? I mean, it's sort of <laughs> this going in thing in sales is, you know, Hey, you must be bad. So let me tell you what to do. As opposed to saying, "Look, I think, yeah, at a baseline, most people are good. Mm-hmm. Maybe not great, right? But most people are good, fit in that band. But yeah. the problem could be: are they in the right system or the wrong system? Yeah. Well, and is the system malleable enough and flexible enough for them to find their place within it? I mean, I think there's a broad spectrum of people that can be a good system. Yes, there's definitely going to be people that aren't going to fit in, you know, on either, you know, sure. and that's, that's fine. But extremes but, for sure. Yeah. But I think if you can make, if you can broaden the spectrum of sellers that are going to be successful in your organization, right. That's, that's, I think that designates the health of the sales organization and also right. of the sales process. And I think a lot of that, and this, this to you know, definitely plug back to the work you do, the book uh, that, uh, that's coming out is what I've seen more and more is that there's so little support and training action g- actually given to the leadership, right? Oh, yeah. The, the sales ma- – like that's really for, I think, a lot of organizations. And I have no idea how we got here from talking about networking on LinkedIn, but I love it because I think it's so critical <laughs> um, that I, – I, I use myself as an example. I, I got my start in selling, selling Cutco knives, right? Old school, direct. Oh, yeah. S- sitting in people's kitchens. I've got my steak knives right here. Good. They're fantastic. If you ever need more, let me know. We'll hook you up. Uh, but uh, Still a side hustle with Cutco Knives going on? <laughs> hey, I, you know what? I, I was one of their top salespeople 20 years ago. I still sell. You know, the contract's wow, nice. still there and I get calls. Yep. It's One of the best things I ever learned about selling, believe in your product. Because if you believe, you know, it's it's easy. And, and those and, are... Uh, I definitely no do. plug for Cutco, but those are great products to believe in. I've had the set of Cutco knives for yeah, twenty years. Um, steak knives, yeah. <laughs> and they cut every they cut everything. I mean, they'd probably cut your car in half. Um, 
<laughs> now we got now we got a uh, late night uh, uh, tele tele uh, yeah. television commercial. Yeah. No, I mean I, uh, I swear my wife night, but... married me because I had these. Because I'm not a good cook. She's an amazing cook, and so she's like, "You have really these are really good knives." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> thanks." One you want to cook some? And you said one of a kind, right? Can't get them kind. anywhere else. I've, they broke the mold. All right. Yeah. So no. No. No other. Wrong. No other guys could have these in their kitchen. It's only mine. But the reason I bring that up is I, I was actually a very successful sales rep for them, um, right. and they had a very you know they had a system, a process that worked very well. When I went into management, I really struggled. Um, for, for actually probably about two, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Cause I was kind of like what you were saying, just like, uh, just be better. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you yeah. just doing better? And it took a mentor really helping me learn how to coach, right. And learn what that process kind of like, even you were mentioning there, like, how do I give this person agency guidance, not telling them what they have to do word for word, but helping them get to where they want to go. Right. And then things changed, but that, right. but my point is it took, it took, you know, me a, a while, and I think a, way too many people in sales leadership, and this is not a dig on them, it's they were successful salespeople. So at some point, the organization was like, hey, you want to be a sales manager? Hey, you want to be a director of sales? They said, yeah, sounds great. I'd like to not have to like worry about the hustle of hitting quote every quarter. Like, okay. Oops. And, then you have to. Right. And then and then all of a sudden, you just realize, A, it gets worse, and B, nobody's helping you. They're just like, hey, here's, here's your eight salespeople. Make them, you know, double what they sold last quarter. Go yeah, for it. it's always it's the great assumption that that is a, a fallacy, and I, I'm sure it's true in other professions. I only know really know sales is that uh, by virtue of being promoted, somehow like during the night you've been plugged into some machine that's embedded all this additional knowledge in your head about how to manage people, how to manage productivity, how to improve people's performance, which yeah, the title doesn't endow you with those capabilities. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's, so it's a different job. I agree job. with you 100%. I mean, I, I believe the biggest and most important thing most sales organizations could do, much most companies could do to uh, improve sales performance, improve the lot of the individual sellers, uh, reduce churn, is to help their poor managers and help them learn what how to do a better job themselves. Help them learn some of these tools and, and things that they... It's not a personal failing. They don't know. They just, they need to be exposed to the knowledge. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, I've been a sales coach now for almost 25 years. And I love, I love the fact that coaching is starting to get a little more attention, but it always seems to be like, Hey, we've got a new, uh, coaching dashboard or, you know, tech platform. This, you know, we're just going to put more stuff in your sales stack and that will help you be, a great sales coach and information and data that you can use to interact with your salespeople is always fantastic. But coaching, and this is maybe just an opinion, is always about the relationship between the coach and the coachee, right? And and a mm-hmm. lot of that stems from the skills, kind of you said, the skills and tools that you have on a personal level to engage with that coachee. And so that's, not only do I think you're right that we need to help sales management, sales leadership, learn coaching, but we actually have to do that as a, as a skill set, as almost, almost soft skills versus just, oh, you need to just use this, uh, yeah. well, that's going to capture pipeline. Yeah. I mean, combination, I mean, they're great tools like, you know, conversational AI with ring DNA has that 
yeah. enable a manager to do an incredible job listening to a call and deconstructing it, working with the seller to help them understand, you know, areas where they could improve and do better the next time. And you can see progress. But to your point is it's not just enough to turn a manager loose with the tool is we also need to tell them and help them learn how to coach. Right. right. I mean, there's, there's, if everybody knows, <laughs> listen to the show, my favorite book on coaching, the coaching habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. A fabulous book on short book about Mm. how to have, how to be an effective coach and how to have effective coaching conversations, which if people read it, they'll understand that actually it's the same as how to have an effective sales conversation. (laughs) There's almost no difference between an effective coaching conversation Mm -hmm. and an effective conversation with a prospect. Um, I don't think Michael thought of it that way when I bought the book, but I told him afterwards, I thought it was a great sales book. But just even that alone, right, is, is if every frontline manager read that book and understood this, this, this process for how to have these coaching conversations that help develop yes. your individual sellers into problem solvers, you know, able to solve their own problems and do a better job of helping the customers with theirs, um, yeah, we start, start at the top and work our way down. Yeah. Well, and it's... You know, I've always found the success I've had as a coach is almost always in relation to my ability to shut up, which is kind of in the same way how I was successful as a salesperson. The more you talk, the less successful you are. And, you know, the less you talk and there's right, there's there's inflection points where your your words and how you phrase things are important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you've got to really look at it as a in my opinion, the sales process is is a co-created experience between you and and the, the buyer. Same thing with coaching, right? To your point, it's I've always mm-hmm. looked at coaching, good coaching is just selling people <laughs> on their own potential, right? And their own forward action. And so, yeah, if you just learn to shut up and do discovery and figure out what the real challenge is, I, I still go back to one of my first experiences as a young sales manager, had a top salesperson. And and, and this is back at Cudco, so a lot of the people working were college kids, were younger. Mm-hmm. And one of my top top guys who had just been crushing it. His name was Matt week after week after week. And just, you know, crater just nosedive for one week and then two. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. And I'm asking them questions and, you know, trying to, you know, do all the, the things that they tell into new sales managers. But the moment I, for whatever reason, we got off topic and it turns out that he'd broken up with his girlfriend. And if yeah. you know, for, for a college student, and I, I would almost say this is not for just anybody. for young people, yeah, but yeah. for like, it was, it, it crushed him. He had like it, it, all these things going on in his mind and his heart. And so not that I was his therapist, but he had a chance to talk about it. And I could say, Hey, I get it. Been there, done that. And, and not that he just sprung back immediately, but he started going back up. Right. Cause he had just had a lot on his mind and nobody to talk to about it. So well, it was important for him to feel heard and understood. Yeah. 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 What, I mean, what a weird human thing. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, and, but it, but it works. Yeah. And yeah, I always end up sort of rolling my eyes when I you know, hear managers say, I don't have time to coach. And I understand a lot of pressure on time. We have, Hey, I've been in that role. I understand the pressures. Uh, but there's a price to pay if you don't coach, if you don't, right. Because this is how people are. This is how your people are learning, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing it well, this is how your people are learning. This is how you're sort of teaching them how to learn. 
their performance ultimately depends on it. It's sad. The met, I mean, too many people want to default to just managing by metrics and there's a role for that, but it's, it's not the end all be all. Yeah. I mean, there's times where I go into organizations, um, and kind of act as a, a group sales coach, you know, they might say, Hey, we don't really have a sales manager. We haven't, right. can you, can you, and it's usually interim. It's not what I do long-term, sure. but I say, well, yeah, I'll come in for a couple months, help you out. And what's really interesting is almost always the, whether it's a VP of sales, sales, whoever brought me in, the first thing I want to do is say, Hey, when do you want to do pipeline review? Right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, and it's, when I was earlier on in my career doing this, I would go, oh, yeah, we can definitely do that. And we'll, now I'm just like, yeah, we'll do that for 20 minutes. I just need to talk to your people. <laughs> like I need to actually have conversations with them. And to your point, find the time to have a, you know, yes, in a group, but even 20 minutes with somebody. Hey, how did last week go? How do you feel about that? Why do you think that happened? Right? What are we going to do well, different? I like, I'm not judging you. I just, my job is to help. Uh, uh, Galloway, the inner game of work, uh, is another mm -hmm. great coaching. Uh, Timothy, I think, is the first name. I don't yep. remember, but uh, that was yeah, an early one for me where yeah, he was just inner. like, just pay attention to what you're doing. And so, even just the idea of sitting down with the sales rep, and you say that you hear the sales managers go, I don't have time, and I hear that all the time too, but it's kind of BS, right? Because <laughs> what else are you? Like this is an well, investment in the success of your people long term. Would you rather spend spend your time interviewing for for new sales reps because of the churn you have because you paid no attention to people yeah. and they left? I mean, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But. No, but I mean, just yeah, tell your boss you get the report to him next week. Yeah, um, I'm seriously. <laughs> the I report mean, will be there next week. I'm going to actually talk to my people and make sure that they're successful so that the reports are good. <laughs> yeah, in, in my consulting work. Oftentimes do what you do, go in, uh, we'll talk to as many of the sales team as I can. Um, and what's always surprises me is the sort of distinct feeling that no one's ever asked them <laughs> these questions before. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, okay, well, here's, here's an issue then, right? Is no one's really asked them about what's most important to them. What are they hoping to achieve in this position or in their career you know, short term, right. long term, what are the challenges they're facing? And they just love to open up. I, most human beings like to talk about themselves, not, not in a, like a narcissistic or negative way, but I mean, we, we like to have people ask, what's your opinion? How is what's going on in your life? There's a reason we usually ask our significant other, how was your day <laughs> at the end of the day? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> well, but I think for a lot of people, it's, yeah, they, it's, it's, they want to talk about what they're doing. They like what they're doing. They, they, yeah. Yeah, take pride in what they're doing. Why wouldn't they want to talk about it? They want to get better. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's just, they want to feel like somebody's listening. And so, you know, we have this epidemic of churn and sellers, especially in the tech business, you know, that's got the numbers are all over the map, but, you know, what, 14 months churn on individual mm -hmm. contributors and about the same for uh, senior leadership and sales these days. It's like, yeah, it's got to be a better way. Well, and I think it's also, and, and maybe this was partly the doing of the sales professionals, but th the idea I think from outside of sales is, oh, you, you, you should be getting these numbers, right? You, I think you actually, and maybe this was on LinkedIn, so I think I saw this post from you, like how quotas created mm -hmm. or, or just, yeah. 
I mean, it's it, it it's just so divorced from what actually is happening mm-hmm. uh, in the sales organization. So yeah, sales managers are feeling this pressure and stress because there's often just a disconnect of like what they realistically can do, right? And of course, salespeople like to go, "Hey, it's not about being realistic. We're going to go hit that, you know, hit that goal, and we're going to you know charge the mountain and be super successful." And then. It, and then it doesn't happen. So then, okay, we got to fire the VP of sales because that's well, that was a problem or the, the CRO or whatever. And we'll just get somebody mm-hmm. new and, and they'll get the unrealistic goal. And then 14 months later, as you said, like, we'll get somebody else. And I, I do see that a lot of people don't have a chance to kind of learn these skills and, and settle in. And so it's really, you're just hoping that you're getting lucky, right? <laughs> well, I agree. That's at the moment. And that's fine. I don't, nothing against companies and people that, you know, Products hits the market at the right time, right fit, you know, catch a wave, great. But even those companies at some point have to learn how to execute, right? Yeah. And what you find when you talk to them is that, not always, but in the main, these are companies that have been a little more rational about it, uh, you know, been more supportive of the people, reduced churn. Again, not absent churn, but they reduce the frequency of it. Because that's the environment people want to work in, and yeah. it just seems a little more humane. Yeah, well, it's it's good churn, right? Something you said earlier, having the right seller in the right system is important. So yeah, you're going to bring people into your organization, and you're going to realize six months or eight months in, hey, you're it's not you. <laughs> it's just, this isn't a fit. Let's help you be uh, you know, somewhere where you're going to be successful and happy and that's okay. Right. So it's not about trying to make it perfect. So everybody stays, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's more, it's more humane. It's more human. Well, it's, but it speaks to this whole thing about connected to churn is, is that yes, you want to find your place in the right, the right system. But part of that means that you're going to have to have some patience. Yeah. Right. Because you're going to, have to sometimes it takes a little while to figure out that you are in the right place. And it's going to take more than a year. It might take a year and a half. Yeah. But if you, to your point earlier, if you just get attracted by a new opportunity, it seems like the heart and hot new company or whatever, you, you jump, you're going to find yourself eventually in a situation where you've tapped out and you're not learning anything. And you're sort of <laughs> this Peter principle, you're sort of at the reach your level of incompetency. Yeah. And, and that's problematic. And I've seen this for many sellers and this is, they're not critical of these individuals. Uh, I was sort of on a path, similar path in my career. And there's, I find was this one company where I actually sort of started, I didn't start as a sales position. I mean, I've mm. been working for a, a startup as a sales manager, the startup basically cratered. Um, I was out looking for work. I saw an article about a company in fortune magazine. I cold called them. Um, nice. Well, long story. I cold called him, got an interview with the VP of sales. Turned out he had interviewed me and offered me a job at another company like four years before that. Just <laughs> had no idea. Uh, that was him. Um, so that helped me get the job because he'd offered right. me one before, but he didn't have a sales open. So I started as basically a, in today's term, a customer service manager, a customer success mm. manager, excuse me. Mm. Um, and then worked my way up into sales and running sales and, and running this division uh, but there was a point in there in that progression where, yeah, I was getting headhunted and it was like, I really should stay. Mm-hmm. I really should stay. So I ended up, yeah, I was there almost five years, but yeah, you know, steady progression, greater and greater amounts of responsibility, 
And it was. Do you feel yeah. you were learning while you were there? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the first half of the time there, I was working for a guy who was, you know, one of the most important mentors in my career. Uh, the second half, I was sort of on my own, but I was doing really new, interesting stuff, right? So I was sort of learning as I went. I got thrown into running international sales. I had, <laughs> I had no idea, right? right. Suddenly it was, <laughs> it was, it was on my lap, and. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did that. And then, you know, a year later, the, my company got acquired and the acquiring company put me in charge of their international sales. Um, so I was like, yeah, why would I go? Right. I mean, it was, I was doing some fascinating new stuff and I, I said, I wasn't really getting a lot of guidance. I started making it up as I went along, but <laughs> that does happen. I, I have no problem with that. And yes, yeah, traveling the world and having a lot of success, but it wouldn't have happened if I had jumped early. Yeah. So well, I, really and I, I think that's really important. This idea that you need some time to cook, <laughs> you need some yeah. time to, to, and that's why I even asked, you know, if you're learning, cause I think this is also an opportunity. If you think about this from an organizational point of view, and I think, especially with younger sellers and I mean, I want to go off into this whole tangent about, you know, generational differences, et cetera. But I think it's just a human desire to learn, right? And to be in a place where you are growing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can provide an environment where it's not about just keeping around somebody who's not being successful at all for a right. long time, but there's often times where somebody is, they're making progress, right? And of course, mm -hmm. as a sales manager or you know whatever sales leadership position, you're like, I want them to progress faster. But as long as they're moving in the right direction, you and then you as an organization are providing them the environment to do that learning, whether that is, you know, personal development, professional development, bringing in sales trainers or speakers about other topics, doing that coaching. Yeah, it's that's like where that investment that person comes in. And it might I, I always tell people if they're in a new sales role, if you're not there for, I mean, six months to just like kind of get a handle and it takes often a year to like really go, I get what I'm doing here. So oh, if you're I, yeah. already trying to find the next opportunity, come on. Could easily take more than that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, you yeah. start decide what you want out of your career, right? It's, it's, you know, some people, hey, if I'm just on a sales track, sure, maybe jump a little more often. But on the other hand, if what you're, uh, yeah, if you're aspiring to do is to, I want to take on bigger accounts, right? I want mm -hmm. to sell to large companies. I want to sell enterprises or as uh, Christopher Engman would say, he was on the show this week, you know, mega deals, you know, I want to <laughs> get those. You got to stay somewhere and learn how to do that. You got to work with somebody that's going to help you learn how to do that. I mean, this is, this is, yeah, I didn't learn how to sell major deals all by myself. I had this mentor that, that helped me mm -hmm. through that process. who led me and kicked me up <laughs> to the point of doing it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, he was as effective leading from the front as he was from, from the back. I mean, he, there you go. he, uh, he well, pushed and me quite I think a bit. It's all, sorry to interrupt, but it's also about, I, I think we want to remember that selling also operates within a context. And what I mean by that is I think it's really easy to go, oh, I just have these sales skills. I can go into any industry in any situation and be successful, where a lot of the people, and as I've gotten older and, and you know, my peers are older, uh, the the number of people I've seen who have stayed in a company or at least mm -hmm. in, a, in an industry, 
there's there's some real benefits to that. Not only as far as knowledge and doing bigger deals, but even if you just want to stay in sales, I mean, again, you're networking, you know people. You know, mm-hmm. I have friends who are very well compensated sales professionals because they've been in at least the same industry for a long time and they're calling people and saying, yeah, you're my prospect, but we worked together 10 years ago or we've known each other forever. And they get into an organization, for example, and it's an opportunity in a way that somebody who's brand new, I don't care how good you are, they just don't have that access. So yeah. there, there's, there's a lot of even like kind of practical, like if you just want to be a salesperson, great. There's some practical benefits to, as, as to your point, you don't have to stay in the same place all the time, but to be a little more patient, to, to really slow down a little bit, which isn't always a strong point for people that are attracted to the selling profession. Sure. But but there's a lot of value, I think, to, to just to, to really reinforce what you're saying, to taking that time and, and being a little more thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, it was decisive for me. I mean, it, it uh, actually so I had sort of two instances of that uh, in my career, and, and they both were, yeah, periods of great personal success. Companies were... One company was a lot more successful than the other, but, um, but yeah, that, that, uh, the patience was important. I remember after I'd started my own company, um, which was, you know, over 20 years ago at this point and, and, but after I'd been at it for about a year and I was just, yeah, still figuring out what I was doing, I get a call from a headhunter and, you know, a big tech company was starting a new division and they were looking for a general manager. And so I, Go into say, oh, what the heck? You know, I'll go talk to him. Oh, nothing hurt. Nothing hurt. Nothing wrong yeah. with the conversation. Never hurts. And so I'd been at previous company for seven years, and we had grown the company to quite a good size. It was on a great track, and uh, and I had three or four different key roles at the organization, and 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 the first thing the head under says is, "I like your background, but." why are you at this company for seven years? <laughs> it's like, and I started laughing because I'm old enough to remember that if you were, if you had on your resume that you were at a place only two years, that was a black mark. It, absolutely. Right? Red flag. And, is this person a, a jumper? <laughs> yeah, this person a jumper. And, and I'd had a couple of those that I saw part of the generation that pioneered that, that type of, uh, <laughs> hopping, if you will. Right. Uh, but I just started laughing because this guy was like giving me a hard time. Cause I, I said, you, you see what this, you know, this company, you see what we did, right. You see how we, uh, yeah. So anyway, patience is a virtue. There we uh, go. If you're in the right, right situation for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, David, unfortunately we've run out of time here. Um, that usually happens with us. <laughs> we've talked about everything and nothing, uh, yeah. which is great. It's fun to do. This is a good Friday afternoon. I, I know this is not going to be necessarily listened to on a Friday, but this is, we're recording on a Friday. It's a good Friday afternoon. There you go. There you go. So if people want to learn more about your new books coming out, how should they do that? Well, uh, two easiest ways. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So linkedin.com slash in slash IMDfish, I-A-M-D-F-I-S-H. Definitely uh, would love to connect. Yeah. Dfish, <laughs> baby. I'm, I'm Dfish. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but also uh, our online home, davidjpfisher.com slash podcast slash Andy Paul. Uh, got a landing Excellent. page just for your listeners. A lot of oh, wow. resources and stuff. All about Thank the books. You. Or I said, if you ever just want to talk about sales management, sales philosophy, or just, you know, philosophy in general. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on a Friday afternoon, always open for a conversation. We'll do it. All right. David, thank you. Thank you.
Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my friend, David J.P. Fisher, D. Fish, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over, which is coming right up. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.